too many of us make the mistake of ordering things online from distant warehouses where people are having to work in. I, I can't think of anything that I would less want to do than work in a warehouse. Um, when we could walk into a cheery, friendly local store, enjoy the company of the people working there and other people that we're going to run into and buy something cool and great and, and have has more um, you know, meaning for us in our region. And uh, Marianne Miller from Stay Local uh, is with us. Stay Local, I think, is the oldest organization in the city that has been promoting buying local. Is that right? That's right. I thought so. And, um, and we at Cano, uh, Creative Alliance of New Orleans, um, we also work hard at encouraging people to buy art. And we call it our Give Art campaign. So um, we're kind of uh, partners at heart in trying to encourage uh, more buying locally. But let me let me let Marianne talk to you about um, the Stay Local campaign, and um, I'll tag a little bit on with our Give Art campaign. Thank Don't you, Jean. Thank you, Jean, so much, and thanks to everyone watching and listening because. Exactly like Jean said, is there anything less personal than something that's mass produced, that's put in a box, arrives to you and you've had very little to do, not only with its production, but how it got to you. Um, so at Stay Local, we've been for a couple of decades now helping people understand the power in their pocket, the impact you can make as a consumer. You know, you know it, you, you innately know as hard as you work for your money, you don't want to just let it go. But sometimes it seems right more convenient. It seems less um, challenging. I'll just buy the thing the person said they wanted. It looked something like this, right? Um, but the, the difference is that the funds that we work so hard for and the money that we make has a much greater impact if it's reinvested locally. So revenue recirculates at twice the rate when you shop locally. And the dollars that we spend generate twice the annual sales. It doesn't mean things are more expensive. It means that what we're doing is actually um, enlivening an existing resource in our community. And there may be people that um, listen to what you did and then also do it. Or there may be a reason if you give someone a gift card to a local business, they go to the business and they buy something with the gift card and then they buy something else. So we're acting solely, but we're doing it for this strong community um, out, outcome. And then money spent then um, that we spend locally recirculates in the community longer. Every business owner has, you know, probably a local person doing their books, helping them with, especially after PPP and everything, right? Their local bankers helping them um, with um, their payroll or someone had been doing that before. And there's probably someone locally providing some at least of the products. There's so much B2B service providers, HR experts, um, that when you're shopping at a independently owned store, that business owner is making all of those decisions for their brand. And the decisions they make a lot of times involve other local businesses. And so the, the money that you're spending is actually having a much greater impact than, than you even realize when you spend it. And, and can you just imagine New Orleans without Magazine Street, without Ferret Street, without our malls, without um, Canal Street, 
Canal Place. All these places depend on people to shop in their stores, in their neighborhoods. And I, I, I know myself, I used to be much more of a shopper. I'm getting to the point where I just have too much stuff and I can't really um, spend as much time out shopping, but shopping is fun. I mean, it is really, uh, it, it, it may sound corny um, or even commercial, but it's not, it's just plain fun to be out there. And you know, every time I drive on Magazine Street, I see new stores that have opened, which is very encouraging because that means that there is a market there. People are shopping locally. And um, I think all we want to do is make sure that people don't kind of, you know, empty their wallets, so to speak, online and not have the money to be able to, to spend it in our, our local stores. Can you tell me maybe some of the shops that um, uh, maybe you have been a part of programs that you, you guys have been doing or, um, or maybe just some kind of indication of what the impact has been of what you all do? Because stay local, as I said, you, you're, you're, the, um, you're the grandfather, grandmother, mentor. I'm not sure what the right- Fairy, fairy godmothers. Fairy godmothers, let's, let's go with that. Um, <laughs> and so. well, one thing is that we've grown our online directory of local businesses from hundreds to thousands of businesses and any business wow. that's free to join, any business can join that directory tomorrow. And what it does is expands your digital footprint. It also helps with the geolocation because it's a map as well as an online directory of these so it turns businesses. up on the GPS maps. Right, and we're talking about, for example, businesses that maybe went a little bit quieter in the pandemic who are now saying, we're not just going to go brick and mortar. We're going to go brick and mortar where we sign a lease with another business and another business and we're a collective and there's four or five brands in the same place. And so you put those five brands on our map and they're already near a restaurant someone was going to. Now there's just a greater investment of time. It's a more fulfilling experience for the shopper. And it's also like we said, shopping is fun, but also taking a break and getting coffee or finding a new sweet shop. Those are fun things too. And if you use our map to guide you by neighborhood, by experience, by type um, of service that you're looking for, you know, you could be dropping your shoes off to be resold and also find a gift shop at the holidays that is just, full of surprises you know amazon is not it's not surprising it's about the most yeah. banal experience you can have and i quite frankly personally don't have any motivation to make jeff bezos any richer <laughs> than he is i mean i like the fact that i don't know what the deal is with his his former wife and whether she continues to get a percentage of sales because she has been so generous. Um, I, I noticed just yeah. that she, she put $7 million into um, first line schools here in New Orleans. That's just huge, huge. And so I don't know if she benefits, then maybe I should feel a little bit better about money going to Amazon. But the thought of it going to Bezos, the richest guy in the world already. And Amazon is just taking over like every category of retail that you can mention. I mean, um, you know, if you go online and they'll say, oh, you can see this on Amazon. Well, that's the last place I want to see it. 
And they don't, don't need the free publicity. You know, they create all these partnerships so that their name is out there more. Everyone already knows their name. And the other thing that's really interesting is that coming up um, probably in January, um, so probably next year in Congress, is, is um, a bill that is going to be considered that would really help consumers. When we're entering, not me, but when somebody enters the Amazon zone, you don't know what Amazon has done to trap you in that net. And there's something called self-preferencing that Amazon has done where inviting a small business owner to sell on their platform is one thing, but then suppressing their ability to actually get anything sold, that business owner's ability to get anything sold. Amazon self-preferences. It figures out ways that those smaller businesses are successful takes their customers and then sells directly to them. It undercuts every single day. And that's the thing that the small business owner is not necessarily in a position to say, this was going to happen to me. I knew they wouldn't know. But as consumers, the least we can do is choose not to support that. And hopefully Congress will choose to actually make it illegal, but we don't know yet. Well, um, you know, sometimes what I do is when I get a notice, uh, you know, you, you, you get emails that, that direct you to do the, that kind of buying with Amazon. Um, and uh, I look at the product and then I, um, I will say, where can you buy Nike sneakers in New Orleans? You know? And, and guess what? You, you get a list. You get a list of stores. It's not that hard to find a retail outlet in your city that has a product that you want that you may learn of or think that you can get online and not sure that you can get it locally. But if you just take that one more click to say, where can I buy Puma is my favorite Puma sneakers in New Orleans, because I just bought a pair of Puma sneakers that I thought had yellow and pink highlights. Those are my two colors that I wear a lot. And I thought, oh, that'll be great. And then it comes and it's bright gold. And it's not my style to wear a sneaker with bright gold on it. So I have these sneakers that I think are gonna wind up in Jamima's closet. My coworker who has a foot size close to mine, she already has one of my sneakers that I got that don't fit. So, I mean, there's that risk also is that you get a lot of things that you, you turn out to, you think that uh, it's the right size and it turns out not to be. And I've got boxes in my bedroom sitting with products in them that don't fit me that I'm trying to figure out, okay, who do I know that I can give this to at Christmas? And it's just, it's just a, a process that's very unappealing when, again, you can go up Magazine Street and there are so many great stores on Magazine, specialty stores that have all everything from vintage clothes and antiques to very utilitarian things. And, and um, yeah, I think we need to do a lot more of that. And, you know, really almost any neighborhood corridor you can think of has, has something. I mean, who knew that there was going to be this handcrafted um, culinary masterpiece knife shop on Oak Street. I mean, no one would have predicted that was going to be popular. But if, if you're there for that, because you work in the restaurant industry and then you look around Oak Street some more, you find something else, Bayou Road, Harrison Avenue, the list goes on. And um, I think people really are okay. All the way down to Araby. I mean, I, I do a lot of things in St. Bernard and sure. Araby is developing into kind of a shopping and arts district and the ninth ward has um restaurants in particular that's what that's one of the things that they specialize in in that area and then 
you know, Bywater is just ablaze with things. Mid-City, I know a lot of um, young millennials and all the various um, alphabet generations have, uh, as they have getting, gotten married and having kids, they're moving to Mid-City. You're smiling like you're one of them. No? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm not with them. I am not a part of the alpha. Well, I guess I was at the end of the alphabet, but we'll talk about that another day. The French Quarter okay. as well. The French Quarter is where I walk to shop. Oh, okay. And yeah. Oh my God, the French Quarter. My God. There's, really, there's nothing that you can say that convinces people sometimes. Like it's really not that difficult to get to the French Quarter. I do walk, so I I don't want to sound um as though I I know exactly. There's lots of parking opportunities too. There really are. I mean, I park a lot um, uh, myself personally in the Royal Orleans parking lot, Charter Street. That's always, except if there's a big tourism event in town and they get full, usually it's pretty easy to get in there. And then you're right dead center in the middle of the French Quarter and you can go to um, Jackson Square, where there's a lot of great shops. You can go to Royal Street and so on and so on. Um, so here's another way that we've come up with, with our partners at the City of New Orleans, the Mayor's Office of Communication and the Department of Economic Development. So you referred earlier, Jean, to like, maybe you get an email and you see a product and then you look for the same product at a local store near you. Business owners are populating our shop small NOLA campaign. So these are business owners shouting out to other business owners saying, okay, I've been asked, you know, what businesses I couldn't live without as a business owner. And and that's what we ask them. And then, and then they post that. And it's such a, um, a way to capture in just one, it's an Instagram campaign, just one slide how well business owners in New Orleans take care of one another. I mean, there are people saying this, this brand, this brand, this shop that, you know, many folks have just skipped over. And so having this campaign where we ask people, tell us if, if we didn't know anything about where to shop in New Orleans, tell us where to go. And seeing the wide array of suggestions, is it's not only fun, but it's really inspiring. And it also makes you realize like, the hidden talents. Some of these businesses are small. And so it's it's another thing that we've been doing. We really do call it local notables. There are some musicians and chefs and others popping up in this campaign and also who did last year. So, um, but there, there are entrepreneurs who are in that entrepreneurial spirit saying, sure, I run a restaurant, but here's five other restaurants to try because you know that they probably wish they had more time to do it. So go out and do it yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I I should mention Esplanade because that's, of course, that's my haunting uh, grounds, uh, so to speak. And, um, you know, you used to have, I think maybe there was one restaurant on the whole street. Now you've got Lola's, you've got Santa Fe, you've got Dega, you've got Figs, you've got um, uh, Nona Mia. Uh, I'm, I hope I'm not leaving somebody. Well, um, the Fairgrounds coffee shop there's coffee shops oh my god i think that we have more coffee shops within walking distance um right now i can walk to let's see the cuban place at the flag at the, at the mm. yeah and then old old town and then mm-hmm. pagoda and then um the fruit uh place that's right there on um i guess that I, was- well 
I still Bayou, call it Bayou Road, but it's right, Bayou Road. Next to Leo's. And, um, and Leo's for the most incredible croissants in the city. I wish I had one right this minute. <laughs> I haven't had breakfast yet. And here I am. Oh, no. about that must be why I'm talking about food so much. But listen, tell me, um, I, I think we need to tell people how to access, um, for example, uh, um, the uh, mm -hmm. uh, Shop Nola campaign. How, how do they access the directories? You know, how how can I go find new stores that I don't yeah. know? To find a place to buy the perfect gift this holiday season, staylocal.org/find, or go to staylocal.org and click the find, and you'll get to a map. So that map allows you to search, like I said, geographically by neighborhood name. If you know the name, you know if you're not a visitor or you or you only want to go to a certain spot. Um, but also use two fingers and swipe and move around. It's the same spot for a business owner that says, I want to be on your map. It's the, the same stop. Staylocal.org slash find. The business owner clicks, add me to the map. And we just need a few basic pieces of information and to legitimate that you are an independently owned business. You're not, mm -hmm. you know, saying that you are and you're actually headquartered elsewhere. Okay. Um, and then to give us your opinion. Staylocal.org dash find slash fine mm -hmm. oh slash fine thank mm -hmm. you or just staylocal.org and across the top find mm -hmm. is one of the options that would be two clicks okay. but staylocal.org slash fine you'll get there and then if you want to give us your opinion i mean i'm i'm saying anybody listening but gene you can give us your you can fill out the local notable form where you shop so our instagram campaign allows you to click through our link tree and get the blank form or you can go to the same website. And what you see is just a, a template that's red and white that says where you shop and you just okay, type in. Say and that I, again, because I'm not a social media genius. Hmm. You go to your <laughs> Instagram. When you go to our Instagram, which is staylocal underscore NOLA, you would see the link tree, which is the big list of all the additional buttons. And the one that says you want to join the shop small NOLA campaign would would lift up that blank template and then you would type in what you love six places 20 places however many places you want to say if people don't know and you know remember let's just go back to the idea some people really need that inspiration some people don't know what's local I, I think a lot of us uh, you know again especially um, a little bit more middle-aged generations who have a little bit more spending potential, they really don't know what the latest thing is because they're just not out on the streets as much as other people because they're really heavy hours, they've got families, you know. Uh. So this is really important for, for that, um, I think that particular class of folks that, um, you know, would be good good customers, but I don't know uh, all these alternatives. All right, let me see if I can get this straight now. Staylocal.org slash find. And then you're going to have map alternatives that'll kind of show you sure. different parts of the city and you know where you live at least. So you can figure out from there where they, you might go. And then um, your Instagram is stay local um, hyphen. Underscore. Huh? The low one. The hyphen that's lower. Underscore. Oh, uh, underscore. Yeah, underscore. Nola. Underscore Nola. And look at what you call the link tree, meaning all the links. 
Mm-hmm. And from there, you can find joinshopnola.com. And you can either see what other people recommend or you can add your own recommendations. Right, shoplocalnola. Yeah, I don't think it's .com. Yes, you can see what other people recommend. You can follow the hashtag or you can you can put your own recommendations, a blank template. And let's say, you know, just think about friends, cousins, godparents. They may each own a store. It doesn't even have to be a store. We have a um, a spot on the template for brands. You know, shout out Elmer if you like it. I, it's up to you. Some people forget Cajun Fire Beer. I love it. I just, if I don't say it, someone might be at the store and buy a beer from Texas. I got to say it and t- walk up to that person in the aisle and say, have you tried this beer? Brewed in New Orleans East. It's it just, yeah. it just helps. We all have so much on our minds. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am deeply appreciative that you guys are there. How how old is Stay Local? Yes, younger than me. 20, 20 some years. 20 some years. I mean, that's that's a long time for a nonprofit to be out there. Early doing 20s. Well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. just well, we'll and I know that just... every once in a while you have a gala. And so be sure and notify us so that we get the word mm-hmm. out and make sure that we get some help for making sure that you guys have a little bit of um, buying power. A little Thank bit of- you. And you know what else I was remiss in saying is when you go to shoplocal.org slash find search by art, because there are artists on our directory and buying art is a beautiful gift. What about, I mean, there's nothing like it. It's Well, you know, unique. and I'm glad you raised that because I wanted to, as I said, um, tail our discussion by reminding everybody that we have a, a campaign called Give Art. And every day from December 1st through December 24th, we are uh, showing a particular artist's work for sale. And um, we don't engage in the sale. It happens directly between um, a viewer and uh, the uh, artist. We do ask the artists if they sell well, that they might give us a donation, but we don't take a share of their money. They get all the money. So we really encourage people to see them. So I'm going to ask Jamima, who uh, supports and works with me, to make sure that all of our artists get into your art list. Love that. I'm not sure how exactly that would work, but I'll let her talk with you directly. We'll get it done. Because we we will have those, you know, at least those 24 artists, but we also have lots of other artists. And uh, we're doing a show on December 11th at the uh, Crevasse 22 River House that is in Poydras. And it's only about 20 minutes down river because it's very easy uh, traveling to get uh, to it. There's never heavy traffic on the roads there. And um, at that uh, day, we're having a show of what's called plain air art that has been uh, organized. People have been traveling all around um, the parish, um, you're hearing my, um, <laughs> I think my um, uh, blue healer has just joined our Zoom. I apologize for the squeaky sounds, but I'm uh, happy that he has found something to do while I'm busy on the computer. But um, we, um, we're, we'll we be showing uh, the work of plein air artists who have been traveling all over the parish. Nice. And little known fact, um, St. Bernard has more natural ground than anywhere else in the state. So they have a lot of images. There are going to be about 50 works of art, very affordable. And the work of other artists who have done landscape-related work 
different, more contemporary or abstract. And um, so December 11th, which is a Sunday, 12 to 5, is another opportunity for people to buy local. We will add that to our holiday calendar. We have a calendar of um, oh, I will send you a flyer too. Jamima is a, a great graphic artist in addition to a vocalist and a, a designer and, and just about everything. But she'll she'll uh, share with you um, uh, her flyer that she put together for it. Let's sell that so, out. Let's sell your so event yeah, Definitely include us. And um, I'm just thrilled with what you're doing. And I hope everybody got those staylocal.org backslash find at least if you get there um that's a, a good place to start right. thank you for what you do marianne and dana ennis who was the founder originally and um we just love what you're doing for the city thank you happy holidays you too. okay take care today, Rebecca Rao, who is part of the Rao dynasty that has been running um, an antique shop that's much more than that. And um, you only have to pick up the New York Times and see their ads uh, that are appearing at least regionally, if not nationally. I, I'm not sure which, um, how you do your buys, but um, it always reminds me of the uh, extensive exhibitions and inventory that this, um, I don't even want to call it a store, I'm not sure what the right word is, gallery slash store, uh, that's in the French Quarter. And it's really one of the um, mainstays of the kind of the, the I, I'm trying to figure out a word that isn't snobbish, you know, classier, um, a higher end kind of store that's in the French Quarter. In fact, that's what it is. So um, Rebecca's with us today to talk about a, a show that is now um, uh, uh, on view in their gallery and uh, it's quite exceptional and exceptional shows are something that happen, exhibitions that happen in their space. So um, Rebecca, we'll start with um, telling, talking about the show, and then I just want to talk a little bit more about your family and the heritage of the stores, galleries. With pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jean. So tell me a little bit about um, what, what this particular exhibition is all about, because I think, you know, it's a great thing for people to check in um, when they're, you know, hitting Galatoires for lunch or, um, <laughs> you know, hanging out at the Hermes bar, et cetera. So they just, you're just a little bit down the street. So uh, it's, it's a great opportunity to see really major works, major works of art. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, we've been here for a while um, and this is, we were founded in 1912. So this is actually our 110th year of business. And wow. we, we aspire to do a major exhibition on an at a on a topic that is widely appealing every year. Um, but this year as part of our 110 celebration, we wanted to bring the public something that um, was not only palatable, but exciting and um, and beautiful. And I think we've succeeded. Um, so this exhibition focuses on the art of the Impressionists and the Post-Impressionists. And in fact, we've called it Revolutionaries because we have, I think, um, unique perspective on what makes these movements so revolutionary 
in that, a large part of our focus in our fine art program is on the academic art of the 19th century. Um, so we really see these artists um, as a break from the French Salon or the British Royal Academy and these essentially state-sanctioned sa expectations of what art and what beauty could be and how those were defined. So the exhibition looks at a few movements underneath the umbrella of particularly post-impressionism, um, but it starts with the Barbizon school painters, and obviously feel free to stop me when you have questions. Um, but we start by looking at the Barbizon school painters who were really a generation or two before the Impressionists. Um, but what they did was uh, they went and painted out in nature. Um, obviously the, the kind of the subject matter and the content that was dictated as quote unquote high art at the time uh, was largely prepared in the studio, it was largely mythological. And when there were landscapes, they were um, often telling some kind of allegorical or mythological or historical kind of neoclassical story. Um, so it was, although although obviously artists have been inspired by nature across human history, you could argue that it was really the first time that they, uh, these painters wanted to take to break from break from this this grand tradition um, that was so closely critiqued and um, and discussed in in high society and in and um, you know these cosmopolitan centers like Paris and London. So the Barbizon school painters, largely to the help technology always plays a part, but largely to the help of the invention of tubed paints, um, just started venturing to the town of Barbizon. There was a really affordable inn where they would gather. They were given um, a, 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 a pretty modest evening meal and a breakfast that, and were sent along their way. Um, so they went to, into the forest and painted scenes that, um, they that they saw right in front of them the colors were quite true to life so uh you know france can be a, a damp and dark place at times so a lot of these paintings were a little bit muddy or a little bit gray or brown and feel um so it was it was really the act itself of painting from life that that the impressionists were able to take inspiration from and then push one step further in a way that was so revolutionary so we start off the exhibition talking about the Barbizon painters before moving into true impressionism. Mm -hmm. All right, now let's talk about true impressionism because I think it's a term that's used very freely and, um, it, it, and, and there's different trends in it um, depending on the nation and region um, uh, where the painting was taking place. And um, I recently sort of adopted a theory that uh, is totally unfounded in any scholarly um, <laughs> excellence, but uh, we, we're so important as a cultural center, New Orleans, and, and the region around us, Louisiana for that matter. And um, it's usually attributed to music and food, but I have this theory that it was the natural environment, the extraordinary and unusual natural environment of this area with our huge oak trees and our cypress trees and our swamps and our river and so on that inspired painters from around the world, really, not just from this, this immediate area. Um, and, and so I, I wonder to what extent in the very beginning of our cultural milieu, our, our, the scene here, 
that the painting of our landscape wasn't an important trigger to our whole cultural tradition. Do you think there's any um, validity to that idea? Well, there's certainly no doubt that the climate and the kind of geographic setting has influenced our culture. I mean, that's obviously widely documented and it applies across um, all of the cultural spheres. Um, sadly, our exhibition isn't totally rooted in the art of Louisiana or in, or in um, heavily the art of the South more broadly. But I do think uh, there's something to be said in that the landscape itself is naturally really tied to these artists as their source of an initial inspiration, even when um, they launch into something beyond. Um, I uh, I do think it's a pity, and I love dreaming about the idea that some of these artists, the artists, the artists that the show includes are primarily French. We do have a section devoted to American Impressionists, and then there are some kind of of the more household names. There are some uh, who are of Belgian descent that that we're picturing here as well. Um, but it, I love the idea of envisioning what these artists would have produced had they spent time here because especially taking the classic name Monet, he was so in tune. And I think the reason he fell in love with painting in London um, was because it has that really distinct fog. And that's something that's quite challenging to recreate on canvas. So his talent and his attunement to the environment that's specific to a place, but and then more so the fleeting environment, I think it's really special. And uh, I think <laughs> you could argue otherwise, but I do think there's a, something specific about the the way the heat that we feel it, but that it also you can also kind of see it, especially thinking about New Orleans in August. Um, would love to envision some of these artists having spent time here. So I realize that uh, the work that you're showing is not uh, necessarily uh, American Impressionism, so I didn't mean to imply that. I just think that, uh, I go back to my original question of defining um, Impressionism, and, and I think we, sh we need to do that. But um, I, I just um, uh, couldn't help but ask you that question <laughs> because it's just something that really uh, evolved in my thinking recently. We're actually involved in doing a plain air um, exhibition at a, a, a site that we um, uh, use for uh, um, really exhibitions about nature and its beauty and threats. And it's at the Crevasse 22 River House in Poitras, Louisiana in St. Bernard, which is almost Excellent. on the edge of the uh, Gulf. And so, um, a group of artists have been traveling all over St. Bernard, which oddly, and I think most people have no idea of this, but I learned recently that it has more natural landscape than any other parish in the state. So yep. <laughs> this, this, the, my mother they, taught uh, school in St. Bernard actually many years back. So we, we like to take field trips to St. Bernard and I do agree. There's some stunning, stunning landscape to be found. Right. And, and at this, our particular location, it's pretty extraordinary because it has a bayou, it has the oak trees, it has, um, you know, a sculpture garden with a lot of um, art outside, but also inside we're doing this show now of the plain air work that these artists have been doing all over um, St. Bernard. It's actually going to open on December 11th. I couldn't help but promote that. But tell me, tell me about Impressionism. And I would say many of the works 
that um, we're showing fall into that category, perhaps. And I'll, I'll actually, I'd love for you to come out and see it and, and you can help me uh, define which of the paintings you think. I would love that. Thank you. Them, that that but um, so tell fun. me, what does Impressionism mean? Sure. Well, there's obviously technical technical and sort of more academic definitions, but it's really, again, it's a, it's a revolt. It's a revolution against these academic standards. So the painters that were best well known, particularly in Paris, the, the sort of most famous example I can give is William Adolphe Bouguereau, who painted a lot of allegorical and mythological scenes of women, often nude, um, but in painstaking realism. Um, you know, amazing, amazing wealth of talent. Often the figures look like they could literally step out of the frame. Um, but I think this generation found his art a little bit stuffy. It was lacking expression. Um, so, and it was also lacking, it was, it was lacking, um, it was, it was so grounded in this, in this tradition that was very highbrow. There, it didn't have it had an immediacy that was based on its technique and its its uh, his his technical ability, but it didn't have an immediacy that felt emotional. So, the impressionism the impressionist painters were a group of artists formed in Paris who looked to nature as they looked to the fleeting scenes of nature uh, as their medium, as their subject matter, as their content. And they painted in a way that was loose and expressive. The colors were perhaps just beyond what you might find, you know, if you happen to if you happen to catch a really magnificent 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 excuse me sunset on a on a beautiful day, you'll you'll be lucky to find them. But generally speaking, they pushed reality a little bit so that they could evoke the feeling that light had on it not only the environment but on an individual and captured that in a way that was quick and loose and uh, entirely different from the art that came before uh, they they sometimes painted works sometimes painted the same the same scene uh, from often even the same exact location many different times to further study the effects of light um, and and but whether or not uh, whether or not that was a, a tradition they were practicing uh, were able to capture something that felt that felt current that felt very modern at the time and also relatable and different from as photography develops often that's kind of a something that's discussed they wanted they wanted art to painting to have to have a painterliness which is a word that probably wouldn't have existed prior although maybe when describing you know there are exceptions i think of 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 the painter franz hall being an early example but um brush strokes that were visible and that drew attention to the fact that this was a painting, but celebrated it in a way that was very modern and created a mood. So this didn't, this it wasn't specific to nature. That was often the impetus, again, growing out of that Barbizon tradition. But we do have a number of really beautiful Impressionist portraits as well. And a couple of the female, the most famous female Impressionists, for example, we have works by a stunning pastel mother and child by Mary Cassatt as well as a, a reclining woman by Berth Morisot. Um, the women in particular were known to 
capture in the way that light can be fleeting a mood or a feeling can also have that same sense no, I'm, and... I'm, I'm, I'm hearing i'm hearing emotional you haven't used that word but um I, I feel like that's part of the story that they're not trying to just be um purely representational but to evoke a feeling of a moment in time whether it's in nature or in, in a portrait of somebody Exactly. It's kind of a snapshot in a way, which is, is the irony in that they're trying to take further, they're trying to differentiate between photography and painting. Um, so you think, you think photography was, was part of the influence that drove a sense that, it, you know, we don't need to be quite so specific and representational since we have photography. So we have the freedom to be more expressive in our in our work was that a contributing factor absolutely and the word the world is always going to celebrate painters who have a, a gift for photorealism because that is just not something that most people are born with or know how to develop but yeah the fact that kind of in the first quarter well photography coming out early in the 19th century and then becoming slightly more readily available the fact that you could commission a portrait of yourself by by a photographer meant that you know, that was uh, something more functional and it wasn't something that was seen as art. So if we were taking the time and energy to express ourselves and to create art, these artists believe that there needed to be something, an emotion to be perceived for the viewer to receive um, kind of, it, it was a way to create a conversation with their viewers. So emotionally. Art, art today obviously has expanded its boundaries way beyond expressionism and 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 uh, um, and impressionism and we haven't even touched on expressionism but that's an even freer form of, of work and more uh, tending towards the abstract but now we have installation art we have performance art we have all kinds of multidisciplinary exhibitions why why should somebody today, in an era of sort of boundaryless work, even work that is ugly or um, you know uses trash, um, uh, uses uh, everyday objects as far back as as Warhol and and people from that period, um, they're they're showing utilitarian objects, not nature and and beauty. Mm -hmm. Why should somebody come and see this exhibit <laughs> at your at, at your gallery? And, um, and I specifically want to encourage people in my audience who may not be art goers, they may not normally go to a gallery, but um, you again have gathered exceptional work, but but it's definitely from a different ear. Why, why should somebody come and see it? Sure. Well, I, I'm glad you asked because I think I got a little carried away talking about my love for the Barbizon painters. So the well, reason... Sorry, interesting. I, I <laughs> apologize for that at all. I was fascinated because I heard about the Barbizon School, but I really hadn't heard how important their revolutionary status was. So sure. I apologize for that. <laughs> Thanks. But essentially, essentially, these artists rewrote that that's that's why they were so groundbreaking. They actually rewrote how the public defined beauty and how it was how beauty was understood to be. So while I think while I think the reason both Impressionists and Post-Impressionists are still beloved is because there's something that could be universally perceived of as beautiful by today's standards, 
they because they allowed art critics and artists to question and the public to question what beauty could be they actually opened the door for future generations to do things like you're talking about to start questioning the idea of the idea and definitions of aesthetics and whether art had to be synonymous with beauty whether the two even needed to be linked so they began to open that door and question because oftentimes the the critics the the true kind of highbrow art going public didn't find these beautiful initially because they weren't they didn't see them uh as a real display of skill so they actually influenced this this is a really critical kind of the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th really had far more a far-reaching effect into things even that come far later like dadaism or expressionism to your point um they they allowed artists to begin to unravel that definition um the reason i think anyone and everyone and all are welcome should come visit the exhibition is because they're really joyous works the palettes that these artists utilize are highly expressive and they represent a time that was um fairly stable and fairly affluent and not for everyone let's be honest and let's be real but an example of probably the most important work uh just in that it's large scale it's six feet wide by four feet tall and is is truly shocking that it's not in a museum is something called le jardin de paris that i hope the listeners can can find an image of online by Pierre Bonnard. The Garden of, of, of Paris. Exactly, the Garden of Paris, Paris, which was a nightclub in Montmartre that was founded by the brothers who later founded um, Moulin Rouge. So these were kind Montmartre of. Montmartre was like an arts district, right? Exactly. It was kind of. St. Claude Avenue or Julia Street. Yeah, an arts district, but more importantly, a nightlife capital. It was where you went to see and be seen. And it's an exquisite painting because it's just a snapshot into fin de siècle Paris, all of the vibrancy and fun um, and fashion and affluence and yes, absent drinking and drunk public drunkenness, but um, it's this immersive scene that is that showcases a time that was really celebratory sort of you know looking at, looking back in anticipation of the world wars that would come. Um, so they're joyous and they are carefree in a way, even though kind of in their price, personal lives or private lives, some of these artists were uh, critical of 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 certain of things like, um, you know, the sort of more classist societies of the of the Paris of their day. So every um, revolutionary artist, every artist that pushes the boundaries of what is defined as art at a given time and a given place, because place is very, very important. So for example, a lot of the, um, the more challenging work that you might see coming out of say New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, um, you're gonna see less of that in the homes and galleries and public places say in New Orleans. Uh, where there's still a tendency to, to think of art as being aesthetics-based, whereas in some of those other places now, art has become, again, it has, um, 
a, a revolutionary purpose in, in the sense of calling attention, for example, to climate change. A lot of artists today are very uh, involved in social um, equity issues, in climate issues, in some of our challenges. So it's less celebratory and more um, sort of reminding us or trying to um, uh, get us to focus on issues that are challenging for us now. Sure. Not that that hasn't been true in the past and a lot of, of, of painting, uh, even in even impressionist uh, painting uh, made a point of trying to capture things that were um, problematic that needed to be changed. Absolutely. And um, I, I think that's actually the power of the artist, just that historically art that has been sort of canonized or sort of been granted importance by museums or by critics, um, even newspapers and periodicals. Um, art is art is a luxury good. It's not it's not as accessible by ownership standards, which is frankly the beauty of museums and galleries that welcome like ours that welcome anyone to visit. Um, so that's that's actually something bold that I respect about artists working today is that they know that their audience is oftentimes people with power or with wealth that have perhaps the ability to influence things like climate change more than um, more than some of their peers might. So I think that's it's a conversation between um, between art collectors and artists that is uh, that that's kind of where the power lies is that artists inherently have access to an audience that someone else might not given who tends to collect so interesting. art. I really wouldn't have thought of that um, because I, I think I, I hang out with a lot of artists who are not on the upper uh, uh, rungs of the ladder of success and access to the folks who have the, the money to buy uh, expensive art, especially the kind of art that gets traded between auction houses and galleries and collectors in places like New York. I mean, you have astronomical values on things mm -hmm. there, but um, artists who are making um, social statements and, and environmental statements here, I, I hadn't thought about the fact that they are attempting to access people who have the means to change things as much as they're trying to reach a broader public. And I maybe it's both, and some mm -hmm. artists uh, target um, the the people who have the ability to have influence, but others really target a broader public. Wouldn't you say? Sure, and I think that's sort of to some extent up to the artist to decide. Although, again, there's always a question of access and who their audience is. But just incidentally, this is a big a big contemporary art week in Miami. It's where all of the major collectors are converging to go to countless fairs and this is where I have it I know I the, went to the first one. Oh, amazing I'm not up yet I think the previews began last night but this is where a lot of artists choose to make their biggest political statements because that's where the press will be um, and that's where the collectors will be and the collectors yep yep yeah that's true so um i i think there's it's, it's a little bit of both i think you still you have um especially younger artists who have not made their name yet so to speak but i think this it's really quite a struggle 
Um, and I think even those impressionists, when they first began, it had it was a struggle. I know it was. Oh yeah. Because again, they weren't recognized by the academies and the and the critics. Um, and I mean, you just have to look at the life of Van Gogh, which is easy for people to do now in New Orleans since we have that immersive show. Yep. Uh, that he um, he struggled terribly to the point of virtually suicide and. Um, you know, the only the thing I always remember most about Van Gogh is uh, telling his brother, you're supposed to sell my work because always um, artists feel like their job is to make it and they're less engaged necessarily in the selling. But right. are those artists who are conscious of that? I, I think often of my friend Linda Benglis, who is very much engaged in very original art and important art. Um, but to talk with her is to talk with an artist who is always trying to communicate about her work. So she does deal with the market more so than some artists. Sure. Um, the ones who don't ha have a resistance to dealing with the market, they have an even harder time. So I, I, I see your point that it's it's it has been important for them to reach out to people who have the means to support them. But on the other hand, I um, work with artists a lot who we're working in a, trying to impact uh, people who are not necessarily um, well endowed or, or collectors. And uh, there are some very um, uh, unendowed people who do collect. And there's stories about women who, I've, I've read stories about women who were um, house servants who saved their money and were so passionate about art that bought it and built collections. There's a woman in Mississippi whose name I'm not gonna remember, who's very famous for that. And other people, um, you know, husbands and wives who were kind of just average citizens who just had a passion about art and collected. So I respect those folks. Absolutely. Well, it kind of it kind of brings to the question of how you define art onto the table because, um, you know, uh, art critics or art academics historically did draw a divide between art and craft but if you but that's not something that everyone has to hold on to and if you see objects that people might think of as craft a lot of those are more accessible and really you can define anything you choose as art and I think that's what these artists are trying to do with their subject matter um even if the the, the pieces the output itself was in a in a more traditional format but they were trying to say they were trying to redefine beauty and redefine the definition of art and I think that's something collectors um, collectors is, you know, a loaded word, but anyone who has an aesthetic interest or intellectual curiosity or passion can do as any is, you know, I challenge the public to question how they define art and find it in places they might not expect. So I like your point about, um, about it being for everyone or, or you can define your, you can choose to be a collector even if you don't fit the typical description of how Especially we think of one. in new orleans where i keep reminding people we, we do a program called give art for the <laughs> holidays and we try to persuade people that instead of giving sweaters and socks and ties and what have you that they give art and that you can art isn't affordable in new orleans because you have artists who don't have uh, major collectors and so this is a great place to buy art in in a, in a way if you uh, want to buy it it's not so great for the artists but it is great for uh, people's buy. um i'm gonna run out i am out of time i'm all uh -oh. already over so um tell <laughs> let's give people the the details of where your shop is sure happily gallery is and um what your hours are and how long this particular exhibition is going to be up 
And again, it's primarily French impressionists. And I think that we all have our love for French. And I hope uh, the President Macron, who's in town uh, this Friday, I'm not sure how many days he's here, but I hope he uh, has the occasion to stop in your gallery. You never know, <laughs> he's you. in the French Quarter. Thank you. That would be fantastic. Yep, so we're MSRAL. We're located at six, well, 622 Royal Street. Uh, we are open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5.15 p.m. And this exhibition is running through January 7th. So you still have a number of weeks left to come check it out. Um, we, as you mentioned, my my great-grandfather started our, our business back in 1912 as an antique shop. And we still have a really impressive collection of antiques. And we've also, just, just the last year, finished a stunning jewelry boutique that was awarded coolest jewelry store in North America this year. So... I'm so sorry I missed that. I'm <laughs> kind of a jewelry freak and you probably had something I would have loved to have had. But anyway. Well, it's not too late to visit us. The shop's not going anywhere. We've been in that building since 1930 and aim to stay. And just above the jewelry space is where this exhibition is housed. And huh. um, I think something that we that sets us apart or we aspire to be to stand out in the art world um is that we're very welcoming anyone we don't want we don't want it to feel pretentious in here we definitely aim to to share southern hospitality and we don't reject anyone whether or not you have any intention of buying or can even think about it so we love just to talk about these works and teach people about history and about antiques and artworks and jewelry so feel free to visit and you can obviously learn more about the exhibition and our collection more broadly at our website which is msrau.com thank you so much for what you do thank, thank you jean so my you pleasure this is great okay take care. take care happy holidays yep